We all want joy, but sometimes, for whatever reason, joy can be hard to come by. Whether you find yourself regularly inclined to anxiety, sadness, or depression, or you're in a dark season currently, joy can feel elusive. It's even more difficult when the Bible talks so much about joy. How can Christians lack joy? We're supposed to be the most joyful people on planet Earth. The reality is, life can be hard, and joy can be hard to find. But joy is real. So, what is joy? What does it look like? How do we cultivate it? And what's the point of joy? Join Vintage Church for four weeks as we uncover what Scripture has to say about this important and practical topic. You're going to see some words on the screen that is a prayer that we are going to pray together. So let's pray this prayer together. Father, we thank you that you give us the power and means to grow in joy. Thank you for the gifts of celebration, prayer, gratitude, and contemplation. Give us the courage and endurance not only to start practicing joy, but persevere in practicing joy. May your Holy Spirit work in, through, and with our practices, not only to produce joy within us, but transform us into people of joy. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. We're in week two of our creatively entitled series, The Joy Series, where we're talking about the importance of joy, that God has created us for joy, and yet at the same time, one of the challenges is that there are many points and times in life when we just don't feel joy, or we don't experience joy, or minimally, joy is difficult to come by. I shared a quote with you last week that I want to share with you again. It said this. It said, we're not all dealt the same hand when it comes to happiness, either through genetics or life circumstances. The the reality is this. Even if you are a naturally joyful person, you are going to go through seasons in life where joy is going to be difficult to come by. Or you might just have not won the joy lottery. (laughs) And so what do you do? Are you going to choose to live your life just being a miserable curmudgeon for the rest of your days? I hope all of you want to say no to that. So what do you do if maybe you're in a difficult season or you're like, listen, I just don't find joy something that comes easy. What do I do? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we practice joy? And I use that word very intentionally, practice, because it takes practice to cultivate any sort of virtue or any sort of grace in our lives. That's what we talked about last week. Here's kind of a big idea for you if you want to take a note and write this down. If you want to be joyful, you have to intentionally practice being joyful. If you want to be joyful, 
you have to intentionally practice being joyful. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. This is where we were last week. This is where we're going to be next week, and this is where we're going to be the week after that. The words are on the screen. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi in what is now Asia Minor, and he had some things to say about joy. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. First thing that I think Paul tells us about practicing joy is this, celebrate the Lord's goodness. Celebrate the Lord's goodness. What does he say in verse four? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say what? Rejoice. Two times he has to tell us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul wants us to see that there are good things in life. There are things to be joyful about. Have you ever seen somebody experience pure joy before? Like, I mean, you just know that when you see it, they're exuding joy. I mean, there are actions or reactions that happen, right? They might be laughing. There might be tears of joy. Chances are, what are you going to see on their face? A smile. Because there are things in life that are good. Everything worth celebrating comes from the Lord's goodness. I want you to, I want you to hold on to that. If you have something good in your life and you celebrate it or you realize that you need to celebrate it, it all has a common source. It's the Lord's goodness. Did you catch what Paul says in Philippians chapter four where he says, rejoice in who? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The idea of rejoicing in the Lord is one of two things. Paul probably means both of these things. It could be that the Lord is the object the Lord is the reason we are rejoicing because when you look at whatever that good thing is in your life, you're recognizing that it comes from the Lord. And so you are rejoicing, celebrating the Lord. But it could be simply the ground of rejoicing. That when you look at something that's good in your life, you recognize that the Lord is the source of all of those things. And so you rejoice in maybe the birth of a child or a relationship or, man, just something incredibly wonderful to eat. 
right? Anybody ever rejoiced over good food? Oh, the chicharrones just came to me. I don't know if you guys remember, that's, that's one of the greatest foods I've ever had in all of my life. And I rejoiced in the Lord. Why? Because he is the ground of all things that are good. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. See, the reason that everything worth celebrating is coming from the Lord's goodness is because the Lord is full of love. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. So everything that we celebrate that's good comes and overflows from his love, grace, and mercy, which is always and should always be a reminder for us to go back to the gospel. That, I mean, if you want to see an example of God's goodness in humanity and in your life and in our lives, we look to the gospel. We look to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you wonder if God has ever given you anything good, anything worth celebrating, remind yourself of Jesus. That Jesus came to, have, came to earth from heaven, put on flesh, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died for our sins, rose from the grave, that you and I, that we might have life. Yes, eternal life, but Jesus says that he's come that we might have abundant life, full life. Life with what? Joy. Everything we're celebrating comes from the Lord's goodness. Herman Bavink, the theologian, says it like this. He says, no good exists in any creature except that which comes from and through him, that is the Lord. He is the efficient, exemplary, and final cause of all that is good. Now, I say all of that, and in the same breath, I have to say that there's pain, and there's suffering, there's challenges, there's difficulties. And what Scripture still teaches us is that even in the darkest hour, God's goodness can be seen. See, you don't have to deny that life is difficult. You don't have to overlook the challenges you don't have to turn a blind eye to say, well, no, no, none of that exists. That's not real. This is what's real is God's goodness. You can hold both at the same time. That's what Christy taught us last week about lamenting, right? That's the power of lament to say, this isn't good, but God is still good. Even in the midst of the darkest hour, God's goodness can be seen. The commentator Stephen Fowles says this about Philippians 4. He says, joy is not so much a spontaneous emotion as a response formed in those who can read the economy of God's activity in particular ways and are able to act in conformity with that unfolding story. What do I mean by that? When you know that the darkest hour is not the end, you can still celebrate God's goodness. See, what happens, and the, the reason we struggle to celebrate God's goodness is because when we are in a difficult moment, all we can see 
is the difficult moment that's right in front of us. I mean, it's difficult to look past that pain, that suffering, that sorrow that you feel and you are experiencing. But part of what Paul is getting at when he says rejoice in the Lord always is he saying you have to see that all that God is doing Because all that God is doing does include the pain and suffering and sorrow that you're experiencing in the present, but it also includes so much more. Because God's plan includes the resurrection of Jesus. God's plan includes our resurrection, my resurrection, your resurrection. God's plan includes God turning all that pain and sorrow on itself, inside out, restoring all of creation, making all things new, removing all tears. And what you have to be able to do is even in the midst of that pain, that suffering, that sorrow, see your pain but look past it. That doesn't mean you deny it. That doesn't mean you're rejecting it. doesn't mean that you're avoiding it. It's just that you see that in the foreground, but there's something further ahead. And that's what Paul says when he, when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says it like this in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for how? Good. This is the reminder of the gospel that we have a hope because of the resurrection and the return of Jesus. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, if there is no return of Jesus, there is no hope. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we're the people to be pitied the most, Christians, because our hope rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that whatever that pain, that suffering, that sorrow that we're facing, that's not the end. It's not a period. It's just a moment. So the question for you is this. How has the Lord been good to you? Celebrate it. Take time this week to answer that question for yourself. How has the Lord been good to you? And then find ways to celebrate his goodness. Celebrate the Lord's goodness. Paul says if you want to practice joy, you have to do this next. Pray about everything. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in what? Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God wants to know the things that keep you from joy. That you're holding on to those things. You know that this or that or that one thing that no one else knows about is the very thing that's keeping you from joy. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what I can do with this. What Paul tells us is that God wants to know that. He wants you to tell him that because we're to pray about everything. In just a moment, you're going to hear from one of our vintage partners in a mental health moment talking about anxiety. Jen Nettles is going to share that. And as I was preparing for this, I thought about a stat that I found a few weeks ago where it said one in five Americans suffer from some form of mental illness. 
Now, I think the population of America is somewhere like 330 million people. One in five, that's a big number. According to this same report, over 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety. So think about in your own life the things that make you most anxious, whether it's finances, natural disasters, your health, relationships, employment, world events, or hey, let's just throw it all together, uncertainty. Now, now here, here's the tension in all of this, right? Because you could be hearing me say, pray about everything, which means Dustin's just saying, pray it all away. And I know that people take that and they're like, no, 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 you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm experiencing. You don't know the half of everything. And I don't think what Paul is saying is that we just pray it all away. But I think the danger is we look to all these other sources and remedies to fix our problems and we never turn to the Lord. I mean, think about your physical health. I mean, if you're struggling with like heart disease, chances are you need a better diet, you need to exercise, and you might need medication. Think about your mental health as a whole person. God doesn't just care about your spiritual life. He cares about your physical life, your emotional life, your mental life, and your spiritual life. All those things go together. So sure, maybe God wants you to go to counseling. Maybe you need medication. But don't you think you should be praying as well? Paul says, whatever's going on in your life, give it to the Lord. Because God wants to move in all circumstances. He wants to help you in all of those things. Freedom from anxiety, this is what Stephen Fowle says, is not a matter of self-mastery. Paul says this is not about getting your life together. This is not about controlling your thoughts. It's about giving them to the Lord. Peter O'Brien says this, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. So God wants to know the things that keep you from joy, or from, from joy because God wants to give you the peace that accompanies joy. I think it's interesting that he brings up joy and prayer together. That he talks about these things. That he talks about prayer and peace together. There's an interesting field of theology right now called neurotheology. I think it's fascinating because it's talking about theology, but then it's talking about how the brain works and how these two things play together. And in neurotheology, there's a lot of studies that basically talk about brain science and theology, and some researchers are very interested in prayer's effect on our brains, comparing it to meditation. And listen, this is crazy, I think, but studies have found prayer or meditation can be as powerful as taking Prozac. Did you know that? That if you just commit to give the concerns, the anxieties of your heart to the Lord, God does something within you that is more powerful than you taking a drug. Now, I don't think that that's what Paul's getting at. That's just like side extra lanyard for you today. That maybe just pray more. I think what Paul's getting at is the reason that we are to give everything to the Lord is because of who we're praying to. 
that we're praying to the Lord. If God is the creator of the universe and the redeemer of all of humanity, do you think he can handle the issue in your life? That's what Paul's trying to get at. Paul tells us to pray because of who we're praying to, a God who is all-powerful, a God who is all-loving, a God who is all-knowing, a God who is omnipresent and everywhere. And he says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. That word, guard, it's a metaphorical word. It's the word that was used in the ancient world to talk about armies surrounding a city. Paul is saying, listen, God, when you pray and you give your anxieties and fears and worries and concerns to him, God will come into your life and will surround your heart and mind like an army surrounds a city. That's how God God will guard you. So here's the question for you. What's keeping you from joy? Is there something in your life that you would acknowledge that this thing keeps me from experiencing the kind of joy that God wants me to have, then give it to him. Let go of it. Stop trying to figure it out on your own and solve the problem on your own and say, God, I can't do this anymore. It's yours. Give it to him. Number three, If you want to practice joy, express gratitude for the gifts. I find it very interesting that Paul's talking about prayer, and in the middle of his discussion about prayer, he simply says in verse 6, with thanksgiving. I mean, it's the smallest little prepositional phrase that you could throw in to make a big deal about something. And he says, listen, if you're going to give all of these things to the Lord, at the same time, you have to express gratitude. Research has shown that the practice of gratitude leads to increased feelings of energy, success in achieving goals, better coping with stress, bolstered feelings of self-worth and confidence, stronger relationships, generosity, helpfulness, prolonged enjoyment of pleasurable experiences, improved cardiac health. I mean, what? A greater sense of purpose and resilience. I mean, do you don't realize people spend an entire paycheck on that kind of stuff? And what science tells us is if we would just begin to cultivate gratitude in our lives, it will improve our health. Paul says we do everything with thanksgiving. When we are humble, we become grateful. Pride keeps you from gratitude. Humility keeps you grounded, reminding you that you're not the creator, but merely the created. So when we're humble, we become grateful, and when everything is a gift, and when you see everything as a gift, you can't help but be grateful. I've told you guys this before. My natural inclination is to negativity. 
You could put the most wonderful, incredible thing in front of me, and I will give you 10 reasons why it's bad. <laughs> I, I, it's not a gift, it's a curse. And there's a good chance that many of you are like me. There's this built-in negativity bias that when you see something, you're looking for the bad. And part of the reason is because you don't want to experience the bad. So you're trying to keep the bad away. But in the process of trying to keep the bad away, you're missing the good. And you're failing to see the gifts that God is putting right in front of you. So I want to encourage you to think about these facets of gratitude. Number one, there's intensity. The intensity of gratitude is the depth of feeling that someone experiences. So you might be grateful for something, but how grateful are you for it? There's the span of gratitude, the number of things to be grateful for. You're like, yeah, great. I mean, I've got my family and I've got my health, but not much left. But you have a very small span of gratitude, right? So you have the span of gratitude, then you have the frequency, how often you feel grateful. Do you wake up every day? Is every moment of your life marked by gratitude? And then there's the density, the number of persons to whom you feel gratitude toward. So I think oftentimes we just think about one of those elements when we're thinking about gratitude and we miss all of these other ways that we can be grateful for all of these gifts that God has given us. And just like anything else, these things take practice. I shared a few weeks ago with, uh, or last week actually with you about uh, a trip that Rachel and I took and there was all of these vendors and uh, there was this person there that was making like journals and stuff. And I saw this journal, 100 Days of Cultivating Deep Roots of Gratitude Through Guided Journaling, Prayer, and Scripture. Now immediately, I'm like, I don't wanna buy this. Look, I'm just going to give you a, a, a cue here for some of you that maybe are like thinking about starting a small business. There's a need out there for gratitude journals for men. This is flowery. I mean, look how feminine, right? I'm just like, I don't know if this is for me. But you know what I said to myself? I said, look, if I don't buy this today, I'm never going to do this. And so I'm like, I don't care how feminine it is. I even got flowery stickers that I could put on things <laughs> with it as a, as a, a bonus purchase. <laughs> but I just, I just want you to see the prompts, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna share these with you. These are, every day has the same prompts for 100 days. Today I'm grateful for. Kindness I shared today. I need to let go of this. I learned this today. A prayer on my heart today my highlights of the day. I need those prompts in my life. Because, again, like I told you, if you're like me, I'm going to immediately begin to think, this didn't go right, that didn't go right, that could have been better. That bombed. Wasn't expecting that. And in the midst of all of that, God has said, did you see that gift? Did you see that beautiful thing? Did you miss this? And when I'm cultivating gratitude, God's like, 
Look at all of the blessings and all of the gifts that I've given you. And immediately in cultivating that kind of gratitude, God fills my heart with joy. So the question is, what do you have to be grateful for? Thank God for them. Whatever those gifts are, what do you have to be grateful for? Thank God for those gifts. Lastly, how are you going to practice joy? Paul tells us you're going to contemplate the good. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What I love about what Paul says here is this. Despite evil, good things exist. If you are watching the news, if you are on social media, the world is burning. It is a terrible place, and we should leave as quickly as we can. can. Right? Have they colonized Mars yet? <laughs> but what Paul says is despite everything that you see around you, going bad and going wrong, there are good things. What does he say? He talks about things being true, things that are morally upright, things that are dependable, things that are real. You know, so many things that bother us in life, they're not even real. And I'm not even talking about AI. (laughs) Paul says, what else is good? Something that's honorable. If it's lofty, majestic, if it's not vulgar, things that are just, things that are right in life. When you see something that's right, when you see something that is just, that is a good thing. Things that are pure, holiness in thought, words and actions, things that are lovely. If something calls to you and you just love it because of what you see in it, it's lovely. If it's commendable, if there's anything worthy. Paul says these are all good things. These are the kinds of things that we should be contemplating. Have you ever had an experience before where you've just been moved? You might be into art and you're looking at a, a, a picture or a photograph or you're, you're in, into music and you're listening to a lyric or you're listening to how music plays and you're just moved by that experience. Or you had a, a conversation with somebody and, and whatever you were talking about, it just, it just changed how you felt. Last year, Rachel and I went to a concert and I didn't know really what I was expecting. I was just like, let's go listen to good music. And I'm sitting there and I just start crying. (laughs) And I'm like, what is wrong? I'm happy. These are good things. And I was just moved by the music and the lyrics to the songs. Paul's saying that's the kind of stuff that we should be filling our hearts and our minds with. Right? I think part of what he's getting at is what he's already talked about, how we rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What are the things that you're celebrating that's good, that God has given you? Fill your mind with that stuff. But I also think part of what Paul is getting at is like, listen, if you can't find anything good in your life, look back to the gospel. Because despite what's going on in our world or in your personal circle, The truth of the gospel will always be good. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus will always be good. 
in the midst of Jesus' pain and suffering, he brought us life, and that will always be good. So we contemplate the good. And the reason that Paul tells us to to think about these things is because what we think about shapes our ability to experience joy and be joyful. So interesting. The the word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, think about these things. It's actually an accounting word. I hate numbers. I mean, I just... Sixth grade math, third grade math, taxes, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, times tables, it's all terrible things. I hate numbers. But Paul says, that's what this is like. It's like looking at an accounting ledger. And you're just beginning to to recognize, okay, this goes here, and this goes here, and this goes here, this goes in this column, this goes in this bracket. Paul's saying, when you're thinking about these things, that's what you're doing. You are counting up. You are adding the things that are true that bring you joy. Which is why we use the word contemplate. Thomas Aquinas describes contemplation like this. He says, it's the simple act of gazing on the truth. What we have to recognize is what we consume shapes us. You've probably heard it, what you, you are what you eat. You are what you think. I think that's even more true for that statement. And I think we, we, overcom- we overcomplicate what contemplation is actually, what it actually is. Like just finding the thing that's beautiful and just thinking about it. If you're like, well, I don't know how to contemplate. Well, just, just ask yourself this question. You're thinking about something and ask the question, why is this good? You don't know what to contemplate this week? Just think about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Why is this good? And spend 15 minutes just thinking about why Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection is good. And I wonder if that day will be better than the day before when you contemplated Facebook. John Mark Comer says this, what we give our attention to will shape the persons we become. What we think about, we become. If you're contemplating the good and you're contemplating the gospel, guess what? We will then become gospel people. We will then become people who contemplate, think about, feel, and do good. Every single thing that you watch, read, listen to is shaping you. Paul says if you want joy, you have to fill your mind. You have to fill your heart with good things. And not just things that you think are good, but objectively good things that God says is good. The question for you is, are your thoughts leading to joy? Think about the good. Are your thoughts leading to joy? Think about the good. Joy 
will not come naturally. Some of us might have joyful moments. Some of us might be jovial people where we're happy and we smile a lot. And all of those things are good. Last week we talked about enjoying joy. But there is a reality that we talked about last week where I said, joy is a gift received. It is a grace. And that gift is something that you have to receive. And the only way to receive it is to find it and take it in Jesus. To trust in Jesus and to recognize the kind of joy that you and I, that we're all looking for, is found in him alone. But that is only the beginning The journey of the Christian life is then beginning to practice that joy. If you want to experience joy and you want to become a joyful person, you have to practice becoming joyful. I hope that today you walk away with at least one thing that you could say, if I do this this week, it will help me to practice to become a more joyful person. I will take the grace that God has given me and I will cultivate that to experience the joy that he has given me and the joy that he wants me to live in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your joy. Once again, God, we do not take it for granted that your joy is grace. Your joy is a gift that we receive. But Father, we also don't want to take for granted the work that we have to cultivate that gift, to practice that gift. And so help us to celebrate, God, the good things that you've given us. Help us to pray about everything. Help us to express gratitude for all of the gifts. Help us to contemplate the good, Father. We thank you for your joy. And we pray that you would make us into people who are joyful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll see you next week.